Hello everyone, we're your hosts Khaled Amada, and this is the Unified for Palestine podcast where we talk to different Palestinians around the world about their Palestinian identity. Today, we speak to Judy Kella, an amazing Palestinian chef and author of cookbooks Palestine on a Plate and Beledi. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So first of all, I'd like to welcome you on this podcast um, and thank you for being here. Thank um, you for having me. So. Who is Judy Kella? Oh my goodness, this is a big question. I'm lots of things. Um, I'm Palestinian. My family is from uh, Al-Lid and Safad. And we grew up in Syria and Qatar and the UK. And what am I? Who am I? I'm a chef. I love art. I love painting. Um, I love anything to do with nature and healing and life and evolving and developing and growing. Um, and also in the last 10, 15 years, become very, very passionate about Palestine. As I grew older, learning in my way rather than what was told to me. And it just created this passion that ignited in food and then developed into so many little factors. So, but there are so many more things. Uh, I don't know if we have enough time. (laughs) You, you mean you don't have to hold back anything if you want to say whatever you want to say feel free Absolutely. Um, do you want to ask so, us something take over okay so um i've obviously just met you guys right now gave me a brief description of who you're going to have on here but why do you why are you finding it important to get palestinian voices from outside to to be part of this podcast just a little bit of background how we started this is we lived together for a bit, so we were always talking about Palestine. That's what the, that was the common factor between us. I wasn't really into, or I wasn't very connected to my Palestinian side of the family because I'm like Syrian and Palestinian. Okay. But when I met Khaled, it was like, okay, we're always talking about Palestine, so I was well connected. Is your mother Palestinian or your yeah, father? Yeah, my mother's Palestinian. So, you know, like. Oh, wow. I am surprised you didn't get the Palestinian gene like hitting you straight from birth. Yeah. <laughs> the patriarchy, you know, we always believe that. Yeah. That side. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, I'm getting more into it. So that's fine. But also, that's part of the reason. Like, I want to let people know that, you know, if you're also half Palestinian or core Palestinian, you're still Palestinian. Yes. Um, absolutely. So I think that was really important because we need to be unified. It's a long way to go to achieve whatever you want to achieve. So, yeah, I think that's my my point of view. And Khaled, what about you? Quarantine and the whole lockdown really gave me a lot of time to learn about Palestine, but more than just, okay, this is the occupation, this is what's happening. Like, I, I knew all that. I shared all that all the time, but yeah. I didn't know enough about us. Like, I didn't know enough about the foods I learned from your book to cook, which I basically live off of right now. Um, I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) I didn't know anything about the 500,000 member strong community or or even more than that in Chile. I didn't know anything about a lot of things about being Palestinian, about Palestinians within Palestine, the kinds of experiences they have. And we hosted a protest for Palestine relatively recently. Mm. And different people made comments about why try so hard if someone's only half Palestinian or or comments like that. Oh, so, so, so really, annoying. Yeah, it really got us thinking. And it just tries to like delegitimize, delegitimize you as a person by not allowing you to embrace half of what you are. Yeah. Um, I find that so upsetting. Uh, I mean, especially, especially when like 
you're you're on their side you know you're trying for them as well so yeah were the comments from about? palestinians or were they from other people who are not palestinian it was from palestinians and specifically yeah. palestinians who've never been to palestine and sometimes they don't even say they're Palestinian. So it's a, so all these combinations are the reason why we started this. Like we noticed mm. that within the Palestinian refugee population in countries like Lebanon and Syria and, and Jordan, sometimes people have a hard time connecting with Palestine, whether they're refugees yeah. or not. So even people from our backgrounds. And it was that, it was the comment about being half Palestinian. It was, it was everything. It was just not knowing about Palestinians in different parts of the world. And our page, it's partly connected to this because with our page, we want to bring Palestinians together. So we're very Palestinian focused. Good. I think it's really important. And you know, um, this point that you make about Palestinians sort of attacking and criticizing, it's very, very hard. It's a very, very hard pill to swallow because you know, whether you're a quarter, a half, an eighth, full, it doesn't matter. You know, you have to embrace it and people should embrace that about you. I'm fully Palestinian and I've never been into Palestine. I'm not allowed in. And neither is most of my family. Like so many, I think there's 8 million out who have no right to return and so on. And getting attacked by other Palestinians. And I tell you something, it's, I was actually having this conversation with my dad not even a week ago, um, explaining to him how, you know, I started showing him messages from Palestinians, you know, the aggressiveness and the harshness and the actual abuse. Um, and you know, I said to him, I don't even know why I'm even bothering doing this anymore because, you know, we're trying to connect. I grew up in a very Palestinian house, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, everything was about food because my mom is like the most dominant in the house and all her sisters and my dad's sisters and my mom's mom and my dad's mom. I think there's 20 aunties in total and uncles and um, very close. And we grew up really tight and really loving Palestine. I didn't know really much about Palestine, but I knew that I had to love it and I had to respect it. And I had, you know, had to, had to, had to. And then I started learning about it myself on my own terms and loved it on my own rather than being told to love it. And, you know, so many things happen. And then really by accident, my book came about. Um, And I was so disappointed and really hurt by comments and emails and messages. And there's so many places people can message you online yeah. on Amazon, you know, leaving horrible mo- remarks from Palestinians, getting their friends to write things, uh, uh, you know, writing directly to me, telling me that I'm not authentic because I've never stepped foot in Palestine. Who do I think I am? Um, that I'm just a whitewashing Palestine. Uh, my recipes are not authentic enough. And I mean, how much more authentic can it be? I've learned from my mother who learned from her mother who lived in Palestine, grew up in Palestine and was expelled um, like so many. And it's something I really can't get my head around. It still happens still today. And I used to get very upset. It used to literally make me cry um, because they're so personal and so uh, hard to digest. And now I just look at them and I just think, okay, no problem. It's just your opinion. 
I'm I'm fine. I'm definitely 100% Palestinian. I'm authentic in my own way, as is everybody else. If you don't like it, just move on. And also support from other Palestinians, zero. <laughs> Literally zero. Um, especially people who are kind of in the spotlight, who have a huge impact on whether they share your work or you know what it's like, you know, uh, you know, you do something, somebody promotes it or publishes it or has something good to say. Uh, it changes things and it makes people more aware. It's not about money. There's no money in publishing, um, but uh, it's more about uh, uni unity, right? And yeah. support. I'm very much, We grew, I have three sisters and a brother. I'm the youngest girl. And um, we grew up in a very competitive house, but not competitive externally. We were competing against ourselves, right? We never looked at other people not in a, a, a you know a arrogant obnoxious way more just focus on yourself don't worry what other people are doing you know my dad told me once you know if you have one eye on someone else you have one eye less on you and I never forgot this and I feel that a lot of people have a lot of eyes on other people in a negative way and I don't operate like this I think you have to really just open and be generous and kind and compassionate and let people be who they are, whether you're half Palestinian or a quarter or an eighth or full, whether you lived out or in, it shouldn't make a difference. Um, and it's sad. It's a really sad part of who we are, unfortunately. I wish it would change and uh, I hope it does. Uh, but yeah, it's my main, my main thing about being Palestinian is that we don't stick together enough i mean it is sad and i i do think it's changing i mean i hope so at least mm. um and i like what your dad said sounds like a wise man yeah <laughs> there's a i like i like a favorite quote i mean i don't like it's like winners keep their eyes on themselves while losers look at winners and it's like mm -hmm. there's always photos of like i'm into sports i'm like a football player and there's a lot of images of like when usain bolt was winning races for example and mm. he was looking straight at the finish line, but everyone's looking at him because they want to yeah. catch up. So I, I kind of relate to that, what your dad yeah. said. So I find it so true. I think it's such an important thing. Um, and it's not, you know, an arrogant thing. It's not self-conceited. It's not anything like that. It's just, we're in such a huge planet. There's so much room for literally everybody definitely yeah something and even if they're doing similar things there's always room because everyone has a different interpretation of something or another thing and i find it something that has to really just break open and for people to be a bit more compassionate towards other people and also the hard work that goes into things that people are doing and you know to respect that because you know things not even just books cookbooks it could be anything it could be you know someone making a a brand of clothing or jewelry you know, these things don't happen overnight. They take years, years, and people don't realize that. Uh, and that's the thing. There's so much hard work going on behind the scenes that it's not just Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. I don't even know what TikTok is. I just saw about it today. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very old when I saw something. I was like, what is this channel? <laughs> uh, app even, not channel. Uh, but yeah.
to add to what you said, something I was surprised about was, okay, I kind of expected like this reaction to come towards Palestinians who did not live in Palestine from people within. Not that, mm. not that it's okay, but it, it wouldn't be surprising to me. What I was surprised about by having different guests on this podcast and just talking to people, even within Palestine, they have similar social issues. So if you're a Palestinian mm. with Israeli citizenship, there may be certain stigmas and stereotypes attached to you. Mm. Same thing if you're a Palestinian in the West Bank and Gaza. It's a problem we have in general. It's not towards one group or the other. Or yeah, I see it. I see it. I hear it. I watched something. I can't remember what it was. I was watching a movie, a Palestinian movie. And I think a guy from, or a woman from Ramallah was in love with a guy from Gaza. And the family wouldn't let her marry him because he's Ghazawi. And they are not like in the same, regarded in the same esteem as someone who's from somewhere else. Interesting. Uh, and I just thought, my goodness, this is so bad. <laughs> You're just deleting a whole group of people who live in an area because you don't like it. Um, it's, I found it so heartbreaking, uh, but this is what it is, unfortunately. It's historical. It has to be. Something must have happened that we, we our, our generation and your generation, are not aware of. Uh, so. Well, we, we could be aware. We do have an answer to that, maybe. like a you little. Do? Okay, go on, tell me. Um, Divide and conquer, which we've we've said before, but that's it's it's we're very dividing. We're no, dividing we're, ourselves for other people to conquer us. We're being divided by the occupation. So in the yeah, but we're the ones who are making the decisions, no, to to say you can't marry this guy from Gaza or you can't be with this person from Ramallah or you can't be so yeah. I guess the occupation. I mean, I can't speak because I've never been there, but. I would say that ultimately it's it's our responsibility to realize that and to break it. But the mm. initial reason, in my opinion, or at least like a big part, is the occupation. So the way they've given us different names and different IDs. And, you know, like I've been to Palestine, but I went as an American citizen. That's not, I mean, it's kind of like yeah. I'm, I'm in exile and I have to go as a tourist in my own country. So when I talk to people, that I have to tell them that, obviously. And it puts me in a different situation than them. So they see their own Palestinian experience as one way and... Mm. And I see mine as another way. Um, yeah, absolutely. But this is the whole thing. Like even, oh my goodness, even from something so uh, serious as how to enter a country and who can get in easily, who can't, who's going to have checkpoints and whatever, even a recipe, as an example, uh, you go to Palestine anywhere. I don't know anything about streets or areas. I know obviously what, where places are, but you ask the whole street to make msakhan, right? Or yeah. mm -hmm. Every single family will make it a different way because every single person has a different experience and you can't tell one person one is better than the other or right or wrong because that's an individual personal thing that has been sort of given to somebody or passed to somebody or they've been learned it or taught it or you have been entry, you know, been given entry a certain way because you have this passport, they can't travel because they have that. It's all sort of like a mishmash of things and Yes, of course, it's frustrating for somebody who has a Palestinian ID who can't travel, but you can, but that's not your fault. And it's not your, their fault either. It's just the way things are. And again, you can blame Israel, you can blame whoever you want, but the blaming ourselves or telling each other that's wrong, that's right, it's not good, or, you know, you're lucky we're not. It's a, it's a dead-end conversation because these are not our choices. Like recipes, we've been given them from somebody, we learn them, we teach them, that's the way we do it. Someone can tell you it's wrong. 
Uh, I know recipes are not the same as entering a country or you know being held uh, at a border control, but it's it's that same kind of where do, where does you know it's like how long is a piece of string? You don't have, there's no answer to it. And yes, I think the occupation is stopping people from being able to you know live and be free within each other's areas and spaces and having these IDs and you know freedom of movement. But why is that? turning on us you know we're turning against each other and you're right potentially about this divide and conquer but you know it's it's got to stop because it's not benefiting us I mean I'm pretty sure you would agree that there's no benefit <clears throat> for yeah definitely I would agree I would agree it's just all, all it does is, is it weakens like the chain the weak link we just keep having new weak links added on uh, and maybe this is you know coming from me who's never been there Someone would say to me, like, you don't know what it's like. I don't 100%. But I also think if we keep adding more of us as weak links, then we're never going to come out of this uh, in a positive light that is beneficial to us in Palestine. For us out, you know, our lives are going on as normal because that's just how it works. I agree. Like, ultimately, it's about self-reflection and breaking these toxic patterns that keep repeating mm. but also like you were saying that you don't know what it's like in Palestine but also your experience is valid yeah so we all have problems nobody has a perfect life and just to kind of wrap it up I guess I think since I speak on since we've been given borders it became an Arab problem so it's not just Palestinian because I saw it in Syria as well where like yeah. a Palestinian girl would go or no a Palestinian guy would go and want to marry a Syrian girl and it'd be like Oh no, he's Palestinian. He's a refugee. We can't mm -hmm. you know, let you get married. And then when Iraqis came to Syria, it was the same thing. I think just so humans tend to think they're always better than other people. So it's like the yeah. caste system in India or whatever it is. You know, it's just people always want to have that little bit of edge over someone. I hope it does change with the uh, you know, dominance. And <laughs> Maybe it's and, a control thing or a dominance thing because we have so little of it in our own lives that we try to enforce it somewhere else. Honestly, yeah, has their own reasons. so just to take it a, a bit more onto a positive note, everybody we've invited to this podcast has pretty much said yes to us. Everybody, like even, even before really knowing what it's about, like it's a yes. Yeah, that's great. That's so, true. Not even knowing our names. <laughs> not even knowing who we are and all, all Palestinians. So whether it's someone living outside or inside or Israeli citizenship or not, or PA citizenship, they all say yes. So there's a lot of people that are taking the time like you are to get into this um, discussion with us a lot of palestinians are going to see it this is this is who we want to see it who feel the same way and disagree with the ways with things sort of are i think it's an important subject and i think that's why a lot of people have said yes i think um having platforms such as yours yours and ours you know whatever we're doing on our own is uh, really uh, a part of our voice it's not the whole voice right uh, it's it's something, a moment in in a, in a in time to say something that you think is relevant, um, and hopefully more people will start having conversations and discussing things and be more open to other people who are not like them, uh, and be more engaging. And everyone has a story to tell. Literally, every single person on this planet has a story to tell. If you just tap someone on the shoulder and ask them you'll be shocked um, <laughs> at how many amazing things these people have done 
I actually was stopped by a homeless guy the other day and uh, he asked me for something. I gave it to him and I bought him some food and, and then he started talking and, you know, he used to be in the army and he served our country here and, 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 and he was just talking to, he hasn't obviously spoken to someone in I don't know how long. And mm. I just sat there just listening. To, I didn't even speak. I just sat there listening to him. And then he told me about his wife and how she left him and then blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the point of the story is, is that everybody, even the guy sitting on the street with one shoe and no sock and his teeth are black and, you know, he smells and whatever. Haram, I was looking at him thinking, my God, I just want to buy him a mask and <laughs> cover him up with a blanket. And I was just listening to his story and it was fascinating. This guy that you probably wouldn't even look at because you're in a rush, it's freezing, it's snowing, you want to get somewhere quickly. Uh, and I think that's the thing, people don't stop enough to ask people, you know, who they are, what are they doing, what's happening. And it's not necessarily like a day-to-day -day thing, it's just there's so many big stories behind people and this is why people are coming on to these podcasts and going online and doing videos and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and what have you. It's fascinating. Uh, you get a little glimpse into somebody's life and it's so important. It just humanizes everything a little bit more, especially in a time of such disconnect. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I said yes. <laughs> I just firstly wanted to see who you guys were and uh, what you were talking about. And I obviously listened to Ahmed Shahabuddin's uh, podcast with you. I thought it was really interesting. More people okay. should definitely get on here. Thank you. But yeah, so I liked what you said in the beginning about how you learned on your own terms and you said it kind of changed when you grew up. So how did you view your identity growing up and how did it change as you grew older? How did you oh. experience being Palestinian? What's, what's your experience? Me being Palestinian when I was young, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew I was Palestinian, but I didn't know because we had... Uh, different passports we had a South American passport and a Lebanese passport and we were applying for British passport I mean it was just a mess and I didn't speak Arabic or read or write and um, me and my little brother my three sisters could I couldn't for some reason my mom just I guess she just had had enough of us and I was just a very British Arab you know uh, just speaking English and being told about Palestine, but not really getting it. And I had always my Palestine necklace on and I knew that was Palestine, but I didn't really know. And then I, I think around 18, 19, I started to sort of think like, you know, you've got to get a grip on this. You know, you can't even speak Arabic. Now I do, thankfully, fluently, and I read and I write. And, um, and I just started, sort of getting into our culture from my own. I think the internet still wasn't out at this point. <laughs> so that's how old I am. Um, we didn't have internet then. So it was just going to libraries and finding random stuff written by very white people. And I don't say that in a disrespectful way, but white people who came to Palestine and wrote about us didn't really see what Palestine was really about because we got into that situation because of those people and then once I was about 25 27 it became a bit easier for me to start investigating and learning because the internet was all fully up and ready and we were what you know reading things and watching uh, things online and then I 
got really into it once I started um, cooking um, for myself. I used to work in restaurants for most of my 20s. And then in my, when I was 10, 30, I opened my own restaurant called Beatty's. And it was a Palestinian deli restaurant. The first, really, one of the first. There was another one, which is fantastic. It's still open till now. It's been here forever. And that's when I really became so involved in it because I wanted to not just feed people. I wanted to explain why this dish is on the menu, where it came from, who cooked it, um, you know, how long it's been in Palestine and so on, and the spices and the herbs and where they come from exactly. It wasn't just here's a plate of ma'luba or msakhan or sayadiyya or whatever. Um, and people loved it. And I loved it because I was so passionate about it and it just grew and grew and grew. Um, and then it excited me because I didn't want to see and talk about just the depression of Palestine and the, you know, disasters that are happening, which like you said, we all know about this complete disaster occupation, terror that's happening for how many years now? I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn a different side of it because when you just get bombarded constantly, you become slightly numb from the outside, obviously, I don't know what it's like for somebody in Palestine. So if anyone's listening and thinking, whatever, um, I'm, I'm just saying from an outsider's perspective, you become numb. And um, I wanted to celebrate Palestine from, for, for me, because I wanted to, other people to love it the way I loved it when I grew up, because I learned, learned about it independently from your Palestinian, your mom is from here, your dad is from here you wear this necklace, you do this, we're going to have this dinner because this is what Teta used to make. And I wanted to have my own rules and my own uh, life based around this, but in a way that was adaptable and easy to kind of filter in. And it worked. And this is how my books came about. I was writing Palestine on the plate without even a title. I didn't have anything at the time uh, before even knowing it was going to become a book. It was just stuff I was writing for myself. Um, and, you know, so many people really loved the book because it had the title of Palestine in it and it was the first to have it. And I, I was so nervous that no one would kind of celebrate that with me. Uh, and, and, and they did. And it was such an important moment for me in my life because all the books that I had read never had Palestine. It said the Middle East or Israel or, um, some other word, a historical name of something. And then I felt like I got, I've got to do this. <laughs> was and it, it hard to publish that? Like, yes, it was. I got rejected by everybody. <laughs> um, everybody loves my book. Obviously you have an agent and then the agent shops your book around. And I went from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and everyone told me they love the book. Oh, but we already have another book. It's an Israeli book. It's very similar. I'm like, um, okay, it's not really because they stole our food, but okay. Next one, it's like, oh, the food looks amazing. We just can't have that title. Would you change it? No, that one's gone. Another one, you know, it was just, uh, you know, Palestine doesn't exist. How can we publish a book about a country that's not on the map? And I just thought, no, I can't. Um, and it just became so difficult until I met my publisher, Jackie, who is a very, very amazing lady. Um, and she published, she's very famous for publishing books about very specific locations in the world. Like she won't publish a book on Indian food because if you go to the North and the South, the East and the West, it's different cu cultures of India and they don't cook the same. 
like my dad is from Safad, my mom is from the, the coast and you know, Palestine is the size of a sesame seed. But even then my father uh, had not eaten half of the foods that my mom had eaten growing up, growing up because hers was very light and fiery and chili and tangy and uh, lemony and his was more meat and yogurt and lamb and rice and burro and base. So, you know, it, it was such an amazing moment when I met her and um you know she had to think about it for a bit and then she was like let's do this uh we're going to print a really small run just in case <laughs> um but uh you know they reprinted and reprinted i think we had more than 60 70 000 sales of that book and she only printed 5000 initially um which was amazing right for a first time book and also her kind of going out on a limb uh, just to see this come to light and I'm so happy she did and she's also so happy she did that's why she asked me to write my second book Baladi. Um, and yeah you just have to find you know there's like quite a few things I don't know if I'm speaking uh, out of out of context but you know you knock on doors they don't open one will always open for you always one will eventually open and the doors that didn't open are definitely not your doors um mm because they always come with something like, I like this, can you change this? We want that, but can you do that? I don't want that. I didn't write a book to uh, change it. I didn't write a book to talk about Middle Eastern food. I wrote a book to talk about my grandmothers and my aunties and their mothers and Palestine. Um, so changing it to a Middle Eastern book would have just been pointless because mm. we all know how many books are flooded you know, in the market of Lebanese and especially Lebanese cooking, I have to say, I don't really know that many um, Syrian, Iraqi, Turkish and uh, Jordanian cookbooks out there. They just aren't, there are a couple, but not enough. So yeah, it's, you just have to keep pushing and, and eventually someone will see it, whatever it is that you're trying to get out there. And then those are your people, you know, I always believe that keep knocking on doors <laughs> eventually one will open i love this mentality like just keep yeah, pushing eventually it'll happen you have to not like a stalker pushing right you yeah. need to be delicate and just <laughs> yeah no like you have the talent you go for it <laughs> i mean yeah, honestly I, I love your book it's so it's so beautiful it's like the the graphics on it are really nice the way the way everything is written the stories it tells the way everything looks like you, you get hungry looking at the book. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Good. I'm happy to hear that. That's what I want. That's what I want. And I also want people to learn how to cook stuff without being scared. Uh, I've done maybe 200 cooking classes in the last six months since the oh, pandemic wow. sort of hit and lockdown happened sure. and over 600 repeat students coming in. And um once we finish classes that most people are scared to do, uh, for instance, knafe or whatever, or matlube or whatever, whatever, it could be anything. At the end, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that it was actually quite simple to make. Uh, and I said to him, yeah, it's simple because the fear, the fear is what stops you. The fear, fear stops anyone doing anything in life, literally anything. It's not just cooking. But when they join the class, we talk, we laugh. I let them kind of just relax. Lots of people know each other because they've met so many times on the classes, they're chatting. And then we kind of get into it. And I keep going over and over things just so people can get it. And, you know, everyone makes 
the best food by the end because it's that fear has gone. Everyone's relaxed. We're laughing and just um, enjoying it, right? The, the fear is gone and then the fun comes in. I think that's that's the problem that most people get intimidated for things because it seems so daunting when they watch their mom make something or their grandmothers or whatever. And it is because it was like that for me until I stepped back and did it myself. And I was like, right, okay, I can do this without anyone. And now these people are cooking stuff and sending me photos like, Judy, I made this and I made this and I made this and it's amazing. My husband loved it and so on. And it really gives me so much pleasure and so much happiness inside to hear that they're recreating things that they haven't eaten because their mom had passed away or they haven't been home for so long. And, and these books are a guide, right? Um, and they can choose you know, to finish them off how they like because these are just the way my family does things. It's not the way, it's our way. And everyone can kind of put their own spin on things. And I think it's so important to have your own identity when you're cooking. Um, so, yeah, so that was my dog snoring really, really loud. She's gone <laughs> okay, into like yeah, a yeah. massive, like comatose sleep. <laughs> I love this dog already. He's me. She's amazing. She... She's amazing. Now I'm going to show you a picture of her. She's the cutest All thing. Right. She's like a human trapped in fur. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said about fear, though, because there's a quote by Haji Mahfouz and it says, Fear does not prevent death, it prevents life. And kind of applies yeah. to what you said. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, like when, for example, my mom passed away, what, like um, 2015? And there's a lot of foods that I didn't eat for that time. So I had to learn on my own and kind of make it. Sorry to hear And that. it was great. Like just me and Khaled cooking, like frike, for example. It was like, man, I didn't have this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so important. It's so important. I think, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. No, thank um, you. And it's really, really hard. It's really hard to connect back, especially when you haven't learned, um, because those are the memories. I mean, my my memories are maybe like yours when you ate the frike. It just took you back somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like even the skin um, takes you back. Yeah, for me, cooking is. Uh, I I suffer from anxiety and depression. Uh, more anxiety than depression um, but when I was in my t late teens early 20s it was horrendous and I started cooking because of that and mm. cooking cooking really helps me just switch off and um, now when I cook I don't uh, I mean I don't have depression but I cook from memories and feelings and thoughts and smells like if I miss my mom I'll make a certain thing if I miss my sister I'll make something else mm -hmm. it's just a really nice connection between us and our families and memories and keeping things alive you know like my brother doesn't come here often he lives abroad and when he comes if I walk into my mom's house and I can smell a certain dish I know my brother will be walking through that door in about an hour even though I'm, I don't know that he's coming to London and I'm like as Muhammad coming she's like yeah how did you know I said because you're making this dish and she was like no I don't make it just for him I said yes you do only when he comes here and um and and yeah lo and behold an hour later or whatever he'll walk through the door and it's it's such a nice thing because he knows that that dish is going to be ready and we're all going to sit together and he's going to eat it and he loves it i think it's so important uh food food keeps everybody who is no longer with us alive um it's like they're sitting on the table with us 
and I love that. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> is, yeah. is that why you started Beatty? I started Beatty because I didn't want to cook the kind of food I was learning because I didn't think people should eat like that every day. <laughs> and Beatty started as like a home cooking. I cooked a different I cooked different meals every single day. So it wasn't like a set menu. I wanted to impress my mom. I wanted to say thank you to her. So I was kind of, you know, making her kitchen at home in my kitchen, in my restaurant. And people, it was sharing tables. So people were sitting next to strangers and eating. And I loved that because people would start talking to each other and just getting familiar and creating a little community. And I, I thought it was really important to share all the things my mum spent so many years teaching me. And she kept me quite close to her because I had like a few issues just emotionally and um, I not emotionally. Yeah, I guess emotionally, just like I had a few mental health issues. I was so anxious all the time and um, cooking with her was my therapy. And uh, I wanted to sort of put that across in my restaurant and my food. And it was great. And I unfortunately couldn't stay open any longer because our, we had a massive uh, increase in our rents and rates here in London, or especially on where, where I had my restaurant. And the whole street eventually shut down. Um, and then that's when Palestine on a Plate started coming to life in 2013. And then I kind of put it off and came back and off and on and off. And, and then eventually someone grabbed me by my shoulders and was like, just finish the bloody book. <laughs> You've been writing it for so long. <laughs> and I had like six minutes to finish it. And uh, then it took about a year to print and publish a photograph and everything. Eventually in September 2016, it came out and it was great. You know, like one thing leads to another. I never thought any of this would happen, to be honest with you, because I didn't think I never thought about it. I just always thought I'd be slaving away for someone else in the kitchen. Um, and I'm so happy I didn't. And I'm so happy my old boss really helped me kind of leave his job to find my own, you know, legs mm. and start my own thing. Even though I had zero experience to be my own boss or anyone else's boss, as a matter of fact, all my staff that worked for me used to have like interventions with me every week. <laughs> and tell me what a terrible boss I was and I was just like why I'm so nice to you they're like yes you're so nice to us um you shouldn't be I was like oh okay um should I shout at somebody and I said I never needed to shout at anybody because they all did their job really well and they said no we need to be scared of you Judy I was like okay no problem obviously I never learned and I just stayed the same but <laughs> I, I don't I don't like to teach in fear I don't like people to be uncomfortable or unhappy so it was a nice environment and I, I learned so many things from other people who were so much younger than me <laughs> uh giving me life advice so I appreciate that you actually found your your own thing to do I mean I would say that now you're you're one of the most recognizable Palestinian chefs which is um oh, which you. is which is awesome like other other than the fact that your food's good and you know, I cook your stuff and I love, I love your book. It puts us on the map <laughs> even more. Thank yeah. you. It was like, finally, I'm someone wrote about Palestinian food. <laughs> finally, they're I'm asking so us about Palestinian chefs. Okay. <laughs> um, we have a few. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we have a few. There's so many popping up. I'm so happy about it. I, I after I uh, went on Instagram, well, actually my friend Steph, he he created my Instagram account because <laughs> I didn't know how to mm. use it. And uh, when it got to like five thousand followers or something, he's like, "By the way, you have an Instagram page. People are asking questions. I don't know what to say." I was like, "What's Instagram?" He's like, "This is something everyone's using." <laughs> and then. I just sort of figured it out eventually, like two years later. And then I started seeing lots of people popping up and, you know, following other people. And I, I loved it. I thought it was so great to see all these Palestinian women uh, and men, um, you know, blogging, food re recipe testing and writing things and having so many beautiful, you know, creations coming up. Um, and I was so proud. I just thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like everyone's got a platform somewhere, not just necessarily Instagram. It could be anywhere where they are just sort of grabbing their identity and shoving it in someone's face and being so proud of it. Because at one point I used to tell people I was Lebanese. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with being Lebanese. It's amazing. I just was like, do I tell people I'm Palestinian? What are they going to think about me? And uh, because all, you know, the stories, like we said at the beginning, it's all doom and gloom and disaster. I didn't want to be associated with it. And now I'm so, I mean, not now, it's been now, I'm 43, by the way. So when I say now, it's been like 20 something years. Um, I've been like screaming it out of my mouth for so long. I'm so proud to see other people also doing that too. It's such an amazing thing to find your identity and um, sort of stick to it and, and teach other people about it, not by force and not by shouting and not by aggression, by food and by culture and, you know, clothing and music and whatever it might be. I think it's amazing. And I follow everybody and I love to promote everybody apart from the people who are so rude and mean to me and attack me and abuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of stay away from that. It's just like, mm, there's so many other positive things out there and uh yeah everyone needs support you know when i started and even till now i don't get much support because everyone looks at numbers and they think oh she's got 150 something thousand followers we don't need to repost her stuff or share her things or tell people about her because people look at it and compete i don't see numbers i just see um product right i see people's creativity or what they've developed or uh, what new dish they've come up with that is Palestinian inspired and that's what gets me I don't see like oh uh, Khaled's got more followers than me I'm not going to post about him I'm going to post about someone else and I think that's the thing that has to change online uh, is that we're all in this together no one's going to get anywhere faster if someone has more or less than someone else I'm, I have the most followers from most of these uh, bloggers but my friend actually called me from California and he's like, how come you don't have any people sponsoring you to do posts and, you know, product, you know, stuff. And I said to him, because I just say no, not for any reason. I don't want to dilute my page with stuff I don't believe in or a product that I don't really like because someone's going to give me money for it. It's not why I, I make my own money doing my job. Like I actually have like a business and my catering or my classes or whatever it was. Um, he's like, yeah, but you have so many more followers than these people and they get all these companies to kind of uh, work with them. I said, good for them. I mean, it's an amazing thing for them. It's a great opportunity. I'm just not, it's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to work with products that I believe in. And if they want to approach me, amazing. If I approach them and they say no, no problem. But it's that kind of um, just supporting each other, whether you have a million or 50 or five, it's not a number. You have to look at the person. 
right? And see whether you click with them, whether you engage with them. I've met so many incredible people online. And I speak to every single person that messages me because I once had five followers and I had once 200 followers and 5,000 and no one spoke to me. <laughs> uh, and I didn't want to be that way with other people because I'm still just like a regular boring person who lives in my flat with two dogs and I'm not a better than anybody because I have followers online, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's everybody... Yeah, but you have to. I mean, that's the reality. Like, honestly, take away social media tomorrow. Am I going to be a different person? No. I might be annoyed because I won't be able to sell my classes as much as I do because Instagram <laughs> is so instant. But is it going to change my base character? Probably not. And I think that's what a lot of people mistake and they get so wrapped up in it um and and it's such a mistake you know it's such a mistake and I really I find myself so detached from people like that there are lots of people who message me who have plenty of followers and asking me to do stuff for them and I say no because I don't like them I don't like their ethics I don't like their morals I don't like the way they harass people or they kind of just want to push their numbers if you're not good and you're not kind and you're not helping and you're not genuine or authentic or so many things, I'm not going to promote or push anything if I don't genuinely like you or follow you or believe in you. Or And it's not because I'm the person who decides this. It's my feelings, right? Mm. Um, and I think everyone should sort of be the same. Just, you know, keep doing things that you're doing for yourself rather than for other people. I, I post stuff, like I just take a photo, like two, three photos. I'm like, oh, this one looks nice. I post it. And uh, a lot of people message me like, oh, you don't really style your food and you don't, you know, do a scene or set up, a page, you know, whatever. I don't know, food styling, let's say. No, I'm eating this in seven minutes. I want to take a quick picture <laughs> before it goes cold. I didn't make this photo for Instagram. I cooked it. It looks good. It's Palestinian-ish. I'm going to take a photo, post it. If you like it, great. If not, I'm eating it. I'm not going to sit for hours, like, putting my chicken drumsticks on top of something so I can eat a cold matlube or whatever. <laughs> and uh, this is the thing where I say to you, like, people like to criticize a lot. It's just like, okay, you do your thing. I do mine. And I'm happy. If you don't like it, look at someone else's page and let's kind of leave you know part ways here I don't like negativity I don't if I don't like something I'm never going to tell you I'm just going to not say anything and move on you know I'm not here to be the police of people's life and tell them what's wrong and what's right if they posted something or they said something or they did something it's because they felt it was right and they wanted to do it and great go for it no one I'm not here to you know ruin your party <laughs> Everything you're saying reminds me of, I'm going to quote Ahmad Shahabuddin here. <laughs> say, say, say yes when it's about Palestine. Yeah. yeah. Ahmad Shahabuddin is like my brother. So whatever he told you is probably something I told him, okay? <laughs> and I, I want this to go on record. We, me and Ahmad speak about 48 times a day uh, for the last four years. Uh, so yeah, we used to have this joke between us. So he's like WWJD. And I was like, what does this mean? He's like, yeah, what would Judy do? <laughs> because every time he had a <laughs> every time he had something or like a dilemma or for work thing or whatever, he's like uh, he'd send me a message hashtag wwjd and then I'm like tell me and he's like da -da 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 -da. I'm like oh I think we should do this 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 <laughs> so yeah. <laughs>
we were going to actually create a podcast called What Would You Do? WWJD, uh, but uh, it's so hard to pin Ahmed down like properly, like a commitment. Like, he'll do like a one stop thing, but a weekly thing became so difficult. <laughs> so oh, you're listening, Ahmed, if you're listening, I'm going to call you in 10 minutes <laughs> and we're going to do this. Yeah, no, he's great fun. He's great fun. Uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, I love talking to him. Even like I literally speak to him a hundred times a day. <laughs> it's just the way he sort of vocalizes things and puts things. It's so artistic. I don't know. It's like music. So when Ahmad gets into Ahmad journalist Ahmad mode, I become like mesmerized. I'm just watching him and his lips moving. I'm like, what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing. There are so many fantastic people out there. And I think we should sort of celebrate each other as much as possible and stop separating ourselves and start to become more unified, more caring and helping and boosting and life-changing, honestly. Some of the most amazing random things that happened to me online and uh, in life were just the most random things from people who I never expected. And they changed my life, right? And they didn't know that, um, and I did. Uh, and obviously I told them later, privately. But, you know, that single moment of just sharing something of mine changed a year of my life um, and, and more, but in, initially, like you feel that impact for, for work or whatever it might be. I mean, I had one man who used to come to my restaurant and suddenly my rest, he used to come every Sunday and he's quite famous here in the UK. And I never really saw him. I just knew he was there every Sunday because my manager would tell me, oh, he's here with his daughter. And then the restaurant closed overnight. And then, so he, he called me and his voice is very, very specific and very particular. And I had gone bankrupt at this point. And I was just thinking like, I'm gonna kill myself. I don't know what to do. I just lost everything in one moment. He called me and I thought someone was pranking me because his voice is so, like you cannot mistake him when you hear him. And I was like, oh, you know, just get lost. I hung up on him. And then he called me back. He's like, excuse me. Did you just hang up on me? I was thinking, I was like, is this really you? He said, yes, it's me. And I did not appreciate that. I said, oh, I thought someone was joking and playing a you know, prank on me. He's like, no, of course not. He's like, where are you? You're shut down. I said, yes, I'm shut. This man owed me nothing, right? He only mm -hmm. used to come to eat the Sayadiya on Sunday, every Sunday. He loved it. He used to come every Sunday. And this guy literally took me, hired me for like, 30 events from nowhere no way and he booked he booked me in for 30 events throughout the whole year for these big big events and i just said to him like, why are you doing this i literally just fed you sayadiya every sunday for the last year <laughs> and he was like because i love you and i love your food and i love your restaurant i'm so sad it disappeared and i'm sure something financially gone wrong here for you because you obviously are not operating and i want to give you a boost and i want to give you a reason to wake up and I know what it's like and I, I just cried and I hugged him this is when we were allowed to hug people before COVID and <laughs> I just said to him thank you um, I don't even thank you is not enough uh, you know and he just kept telling me okay next event is this it's like 40 people in this amazing place come bring all your stuff and you just cook whatever you want and I did it for a whole year and I just like he kept me alive not just money alive but like 
emotionally alive, mentally alive. And, and he, he, he saved my life um, because, you know, you lose everything and then one person just comes and does something and it's just, you just think, wow, this, is, this guy is going straight to heaven. I mean, he's so good. <laughs> I love that. So There's good. so much power in that. So beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> There's not many people. I never forget him. I never forget him. Yeah, and I think that's why we need more people like this. Whether it's you, Khaled, me, Ahmed, whoever. Just you don't know what an impact you can have on somebody. And this is, you know, being Palestinian or not, but because we're talking specifically about Palestine, I think more of us need to start giving each other that leg up. You know, and not being scared that someone might become better than you or more successful than you. You're successful. They can also be successful. It's not a competition. We're not coming out of this alive. You know, we just need to do our best and be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. I was very competitive internally my whole life, but never looking at other people, just between me and myself. Now I'm not competitive anymore. Halas, I've come to a point where I'm just happy doing what I'm doing, I'm not rushing. I just wanna, you know, I don't wanna post 84 times a week. I wanna post once every month. <laughs> and, you know, what I, I don't, I don't not, I, I just want people to relax and just enjoy what they're doing and see what's happening around them and be, you know, good with each other and learn about other Palestinians and see what they're going through and what they're suffering or what they're rejoicing or what they're celebrating. and there's so much I, I i i never knew so many palestinians until instagram <laughs> and i've become friends with so many people and i love them and they are amazing humans men and women and younger younger people uh, and and the things that they're doing is just wow you know from this amazing designers like uh covered which is a, a beautiful girl called savannah she does the most amazing t-shirts and jackets and shawls and shoes and I love her I love her stuff and she's young and she's still finishing her university and she's got this whole brand out and then you have Palestinian hustle who are doing their t-shirts and baby things and I think and then there's musicians um wow I mean who doesn't love music it's there's so many ways to connect with people we have to just be more open and kind and it's so cheesy, right? But we just have to love each other and, and just appreciate each other's individualness, if that's even a correct word, <laughs> or individuality, rather, and um, help each other grow. And honestly, I, I, I can relate because I also didn't meet a lot of Palestinians until we opened the Unify for Palestine page. It was like, wow, there are so many Palestinians. And when we saw a lot of successful Palestinians, we were like, Really? Like they're like when we sat down to make a list for the podcast, we saw like 80, 80 over 90 people. I was like, wow, over, easily over a hundred. If you want to just, keep... I'm gonna give you more. I'm gonna give you more that <laughs> you probably don't know of. There are some amazing people. <laughs> My friend Lubna of Lulu's Gourmet Crackers, like the toughest, strongest, fiercest Palestinian woman I know. Um, biggest heart. And I tell you something. I don't know about you. Maybe because I'm Palestinian. I think Palestinian people work harder than any other person, whether it's because we have something to prove or whether because we have like emotional, uh, historical trauma from our parents and their parents, whether because um, 
you know, we don't want to live in a poverty situation that where they came from, that we're trying so hard to get ourselves into a much better financial state than our families were in yeah, back in the day. I don't know what it is, but there's a drive to prove something, whether it's to ourselves or to other people. I don't care what it is. I just know that every Palestinian I have met is just like a stallion. Like they just don't stop. They just keep moving and pushing through. You know, I just, I just imagine like when you see a horse in slow motion and the breath is coming out and you can hear the gallop and the <laughs> this kind of breathing, beating, running. This is what I this is what I see when I think of Palestinians. Uh, sorry to everyone else who isn't Palestinian, but if you're half or quarter and eighth, you're still Palestinian, so you're all included. <laughs> but um, I just feel that they are, and I love that. Um, whatever whatever reason it is, I've not met one Palestinian who's kind of just sitting sluggish at home doing nothing. And if there is, come and call me. <laughs> I'll sort you out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, we have that fire, and th that's great. That's what I love about the culture and people. I've been saying um, that to Meadow yeah. for for like months now. Ask him that Palestinian yeah. terms, or like, look at this man. Everyone's doing something, or we're the most educated people. Like, I always say stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, literally, like, we always we have to because like that's the truth. Like, literally, I'm, I'm sorry to everyone else, but it's true. Like, it's kind of like you don't want to you don't want to go back into a situation where you feel like you're helpless, or you know, you're under occupation, or someone's controlling you. So. You always want to prove Absolutely. like twice that you want to do twice the effort as everyone else. You want to, you know, work Absolutely. harder than everyone else. So, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. So like, I, I, yeah. Sorry. sorry, go on. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I was actually talking to this girl the other day on a totally separate subject, but I'll bring it back to this. Uh, you know, we were talking about something to do with life. And she said to me, you know, something about her parents, did, her grandparents did not suffer and do what they had to do to get out of where they were for them to come to the UK to have a good life and for her to just mess up, right? Our grandparents suffered like the most trauma. I think that we personally, forget obviously there's other traumas happening in the world. We're talking specifically about this. Our grandparents suffered the most traumatic experience. Um, and for us to sit here like little losers when they had to like pack up their whole life on their shoulders with like 20 kids walking or swimming or on a boat or whatever they did to get to Syria or uh, Amman or uh, Jordan or Egypt or wherever they ended up you know, spreading to. For us to just sit here like doing nothing, thinking you know, you know, how wrong and terrible our lives are. Listen, everything is relative. I have those days a lot, okay? But I get up and I'm like, Umi, yalla, just, do it. Your life is going to end one day. You're going to move. Uh, and, and I think about it. And when she said this to me, I said, so this is such a great thing. We did not, they did not suffer for us to be here doing nothing, right? They're not here anymore. We need to do that for them. We need to speak for them. We need to showcase for them. Uh, and this is, this, is, this is the repayment for them. If they didn't survive it, my mom and dad wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be here. And it's just a thank you to them for, for surviving that crazy experience that they had to go through. And there's no way I'm gonna sit on my ass doing nothing. <laughs> I love that about, about Palestinians in general, like whether, whether, whether it's in Jordan or, or in Salvador, always like, you know, a decent amount of Palestinians doing really cool stuff. Yeah, 
so many and you should be proud of it. I felt like you're a bit hesitant before, like, oh, you know, it sounds so like uh, uh, weird to say that about ourselves. But I think if we don't celebrate ourselves, uh, Khaled and Mada, who is, right? Who's going to? We have to do it and then other people can follow. Exactly. You know? too, too many people putting us down. We need to change the story and... Stay unified yeah. for Palestine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wanted to ask because you now you got into like how there's a lot of Lebanese cookbooks, and in general, me and Meda feel like there's a lot of Lebanese restaurants, and in general, when it comes to when it comes to like Levantine food and Arabic food, mm. it's more often than not for, uh, forget that it's Lebanese. It's just usually not Palestinian. Was the market open to receiving? Beatty's or your supper club was it yeah. open to receiving a Palestinian restaurant yeah yeah I was full all the time my restaurant was so cute it was not big it was 26 seats uh it was full it was beautiful it was lovely people loved it and also the variation and the difference you know the different recipes I did every single day so you come in every day with something different with 25 other things that were different right and then my supper clubs came much later. My restaurant opened in 2010, closed in 2013. And then my supper club came for 2015, uh, right up until the pandemic kind of locked us in. But my supper clubs would have 55 people and I do them every week or two weeks. And it would just be the most amazing random strangers coming, sitting on three long tables, eating, sharing, talking, exchanging numbers and becoming friends and they all came because they like Palestinian food it's not because they know me or they're my friends obviously there would be some friends of mine there but majority would be just people wanting to eat Palestinian food and that's just as simple as it as it got uh, but the market here in the UK do they really care about a Palestinian person talking about Palestinian food no they would speak to an Israeli person talking about Palestinian food or an Iranian girl talking about Palestinian food or a Jewish guy from North London talking about Palestinian food. But for me, personally, as Judy Kalla, do they want to talk about me or help me or promote me or, you know, share an actual Palestinian's point of view on Palestine and Palestinian food? No. That's been my thing, my issue here with the market of the UK sort of, media and I don't want to be on TV because I don't want to be famous I get anxious I hate it my nose twitches and I you know I don't want that I just want people to know about us so that not like you, the um, culture appropriation like when they speak to yeah. Israeli about passing food yeah it annoys me when they speak to an Israeli about Palestinian food and it annoys me when Israelis cook Palestinian food in general listen we have to also remember that before there was Israel, there was Jews living in Palestine as Palestinians were living in Palestine, right? So we cannot delete the fact that the Jews that lived there ate the food that we ate. But we can say now, obviously, that those Jews are not just Arab Jews, they become Israeli Jews. That is not Israeli food. That's Arab food by Palestinians that Jews ate, who now became Israeli, and now they think it's Israeli food. It's not I have a very good friend who's Israeli by nationality, but his mom and dad are Armenian, Yemeni, Iraqi, Turkish. That's their history. That's the food they ate. That food is our food in the context of 
they eat mamul and uh, um, and all these things, right? So when he cooks it, he doesn't say it's Israeli food. He's an Israeli guy, grew up in a Yemeni, Iraqi, Armenian, Yemeni, Mabarif ish house, but a Jewish Israeli guy. So is his food Israeli? No. He doesn't say it is. He says this is a Yemeni Jewish dish uh, because it is, but it's not Israeli. So this is where you have to get like and really respect that side of Israelis who do respect the authenticity and the origins of where things come from. But if he's going to make ma'lube or msakhan, he has to say it's Palestinian. And also, we were speaking about this the other day, because I speak to him also all the time. Um, what is Israeli food? He doesn't even know. Right? It's just a mix of, I mean, as far as I know, it's, it's a, mix a mix of, of everything. <laughs> Everyone who moved, it's a, mix of everything. it's a mix of everything. Yeah, mix of everything. You know, and, and this is an important thing to, to remember. Obviously, we don't want to, like, delete every Israeli. Not And, you know, somebody wrote me a message saying, you know, how can I promote my friend who's Israeli? I promote him because he's a good person and he's a lovely guy and he's kind and generous and he's caring. And I don't give a crap that he's Israeli. Um, I care that he's good, right? And I don't want people to paint everyone in the same brush, like uh, we, uh, the one from Ramallah hates Gaza and Gaza hates uh, Nablus. We can't do that. We can't do the same also but with Israelis. How do you, how do you, how do you fight back against cultural appropriation? Because it is a really big issue, like Taboon. I found, <laughs> I found that it was called the Laffa, apparently that's what- Yeah, that's Laffa. What they, oh, what yeah. the hell is that? You know, which I've heard people call it that before. And Ka'ak- No, I fight. Ka'ak is called Jerusalem Bagel, and I've also heard people say that. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, I fight back. No, I fight back. I fight back, and I say that it's not, because this is not uh, a bagel. This is a ka'ak. And I don't, uh, I don't let things slide, like in sabbaha and uh, whatever the things that they have, the sabich sandwich. This is Iraqi. It's not Israeli. But because the media and the, the money is so strong behind this, to spread yeah. it across globally. That's why it's become popular. That's why people talk about it. This is the appropriation, like couscous. They're not couscous. The giant couscous, Israeli <laughs> couscous, is mafkul. Yeah. You know, I have a very big issue about these things. I never stay quiet, whether it's an Israeli friend or not. I'm not going to say that, yeah, okay, that's Israeli. Um, but my, my initial point was just not to attack every single Israeli who cooks Arab food, because I'm not all... Eastern European Israeli Jews who came. Some of them are historically Arab Jews, right? So we have to be careful also. Obviously, this is not about um, who's right and who's wrong, but there's also a line that we have to be careful not to tread on because not everyone's an occupier and not everyone is violent and not everyone believes in what's happening. There are a few and we have to find, you know, respect and, and, and treat properly. Sure. On Definitely. the flip side, on the flip side, you have the other people who I worked with a uh, few people, Israeli, three Israeli people who literally screwed every single one of us over a couple of years ago and told us that we were going to be in this book that's all about Palestine and this and that. And that. I don't know what. And then it turned out to be like the biggest pile of rubbish, lie after lie after lie after they got us all into the book, myself and five other Palestinian chefs. And this is when I thought, never trust anyone. 
not just never trust an Israeli, just never trust anybody. Um, because it was insane what was happening. Uh, and we couldn't, we couldn't stop it because it had already gone into print and it had already uh, spirals. And, you know, I spoke to all the chefs. I was like, guys, what is this? We just basically inserted ourselves into like a huge Israeli propaganda against ourselves. Uh, and I, Yanni, we ate, we ate a big humble pie in this moment. And so, you know, you have to, you have to weigh things out and learn yourself and never repeat mistakes and not everything, love and peace. What is it? Not everything that glitters is gold, as my mom tells me. Mm. Um, you know, just because someone's waving a peace and love flag doesn't mean there's actually peace and love behind it. So now my answer is always no. And, um, you know, but definitely no to appropriation of food, our culture, our clothing, our country, our words, our everything. No, no. Yeah. Uh, especially I mean, from, from a different kind of uh, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's right. I think we should fight back. And honestly, we, yeah, we do tend to generalize a lot in general. Like when we talk, it's like, oh, Israelis, blah, blah, blah. I mean, obviously there are some good people like, and you should take yes. each person as their own experience and hold them accountable for their own opinions. And which is also what I liked about your supper club. Like I saw a lot of different parts from all walks of the earth, you know, eating there on like the video and different it's, people. It's honestly inspiring. Like the strangers coming together and eating fast food, you know, yeah. and that's great. So I would love to know more about that because I love meeting strangers in general. And I love food. <laughs> So listen, they're great fun. They're great fun. Once, once we, once we come out of this lockdown and hopefully when more people are safer to be around, it's so crazy. I just can't see the end in sight, but that's another subject we can spend three days talking about. Uh, the supper clubs are amazing. They're fun. They're light. The music is great. It's like a Palestinian Middle Eastern inspired theme music in the background. And everyone's just sitting in this beautiful room with all this delicious food in front of them. They have like seven, eight starters and then a main course comes out and then dessert comes out and people are just literally eating things with their food, with their fingers. <laughs> I, I usually don't serve dessert with forks and knives. I want people to just eat like they're at home. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and they hate me for it because it's always with upper or something sticking on their fingers. So I said, just lick your fingers. I mean, this is how you would eat. And this is how you, uh, do you know, it, you have... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just want people to relax and it's such a nice thing. I don't really talk that much in my events. I just come up and say hi to everybody slowly, quietly. I'm quite a shy person. You wouldn't get that in this interview or any interview, but uh, when I'm one-on-one -on -one with somebody, it's very different. I'm like a dynamite. And then when I'm with 50 people, I'm like a squirrel sitting in the corner. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's just really nice to speak to them and listen to how far people have traveled. And some, some, somebody came from New York uh, another one from Boston, one from Nigeria. I was like, you came here all the way just to eat at the supper club. Oh, wow. And they're like, yeah, really? we did. I was like, oh, oh. cool. Uh, I was just like, crap, I would never have done that. <laughs> it's a plane <laughs> ticket and a hotel and the dinner. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, so I told my mom and she's like, mama, something like in her Arabic you know with her arabic uh, language but you know, she's like mama somebody flew from america to come to eat for your food i was like yes <laughs> she's like was it good i was like yes. i hope so 
because that would be like a massive buzzkill, right? If it wasn't good. <laughs> um but also, you should be so proud. Really proud yeah she's so proud by the way my mom comes to every single event uh she sits she has her own special chair in the corner so on the cute. head of the table rather <laughs> and everyone sits around her and she just tells them the most embarrassing stories and <laughs> um but yeah she's the queen of this whole story right it's all about fadia and her time and her love and her patience and uh her her life is is these in these books you know just um she is she is it the queen of my life i love her <laughs> god bless her yeah she's the cutie <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be so happy i actually said her name because she she said to me uh mama because it says uh, palestine on a plate recipes from my mother's kitchen and then it mm. says mama's and sa'a mama's this auntie lamia auntie shahla dunya fatihah but not her name <laughs> yeah and then she goes to me mama i said yeah mama she's like by the way you know people our moms and dads call us mama and baba just yeah. FYI. uh <laughs> i know you know but other people who might listen yeah, yeah, yeah. To it's it's, it's very like, mama <laughs> why uh, why my name is not in the book i said to her but mama it says mama's and tabal and mama's she was Yes, but I am your mama. I am not their mama. I am Fadia. Like this. <laughs> I said to her, "Yeah, I know, mom, but I can't call you Fadia. I've never called you Fadia. I just that's not your name." She's like, "What? In the next book you would put it Fadia." I was like, "Okay." So I did the second book, and of course I didn't because she's my mom because I'm writing to my publisher. I'm like, "Oh, this is my mama's uh, whatever." So they put it and she's like, "What did I tell you?" I said, <laughs> "Nobody knows my name." I said, "Mama, the book is about you. It's all you." it's mama's my mom's uh, recipe from my mom's kitchen she's like okay i will be everybody's mama okay i was like no problem <laughs> like, fine <laughs> but she was so upset i said to her the whole everything is about you she's like okay خلاص no problem i was like fine no problem <laughs> i thought she was crazy but she's right but she can be everybody's mama now <laughs> shout out to khalta fadia <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> she's she's really really a funny funny lady <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah. <laughs> yeah um so to wrap it up what are you working on now and what are your goals my goodness personal? uh personal i'm doing a lot more internal work on myself i'm starting a new course courses to learn how to teach uh reiki and chakra healing and meditation i've been really getting into it for the last few years so this is something i'm going to be focusing a lot of time on over the next six months to one year learning and then you know implementing it into my life um, and hopefully teaching people as well as doing what i'm doing at the moment which is teaching online and then i'm hoping one day eventually with a couple of friends of mine who've been talking about this for quite a long time is to create a brand product that is available in supermarkets for people to buy palestinian food takeaway that's ready or ready to put in the oven or from the freezer or whatever it might be so that's been sort of in the works for a while and just have to wait and see if it comes to life but i'm not putting any pressure on myself you know just getting up every day brushing my hair and putting on clean clothes <laughs> it's like a massive accomplishment in like a totally isolated quarantine life in covid so 
I'm just um, taking every day step by step and hopefully come out of it better and more open and kinder and wiser and never stop learning. I love, I love your work. Seriously. Like one, I need a class. I'm making knafi. I've been trying to make a knafi for a year now. I just can't. There's always thing going. There's always like a part where it doesn't work. He knows my pain, like staying up until two in the morning, (laughs) flipping that thing on the stove and sorry, like rotating it. And then it just doesn't work. Listen, I, it's all about the gi, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the key. You have to use that. No butter, no oil, nothing else. I'll teach you. I'll okay. Teach you. Thank you. Because <laughs> every, like the first time we did it, it was perfect. The first time. And then I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> just... Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. I'm the queen of fixing problems. This is one thing I know for sure. Cause I've made so many mistakes. Um, and I've had to, you know, get myself out of them quickly before someone found out. So I can fix almost anything. You can ask all my students every time something goes wrong for them, like, stop, do this. Don't do that out of it. Uh, and it works. So we can definitely fix that for you. Yeah. Honestly, I love your work. I love your food. I love your recipes. And so like, thank you for coming on. Like, I feel like you're having me. Inshallah, when this lockdown's over and you start your supper club again, like I can't wait to go there. Me honestly. too, me too, honestly. Yes, where are both of you based now? I'm, uh, I was, I'm based in Budapest, but I'm in Germany right now, just visiting my dad. Okay. I'm in Budapest, but I'm moving to Spain, but so still, still very close. Where are you moving to in Spain? Marbella. Oh, very nice. I was going to move to Barcelona before Brexit and lockdown, so let's. Here's hoping to a better. <laughs> Sonia life eventually <laughs> inshallah let's see um, but guys it was so nice to speak to you thank you for getting on thank, thank you, you for guys. getting on honestly it was really fun thank you hello again friends we really hope you enjoyed this episode for us it was really awesome to speak to an empowered and successful Palestinian woman that being said we release a new episode every Thursday so make sure you tune in, subscribe to this podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Unified for Palestine. And remember, Palestine is, was, and will forever be free. See you next time. Peace.